0: I could do finaren's bread and butter. I can do shit like that, Shayna. but he's not doing anything for me. <laughs> he's not scoring, and it's affecting me. It's affecting my tweets. It's all about you, your data, your tweets.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Allison Lucan. We are back with the Too Many Men podcast. Folks, <laughs> it's, it's playoff hashtag SZN season. Um, as always, um, I am joined by the prolific analyzer, moving picture maker, adapter to all my recording requests friend, <laughs> Shayna Goldman.
0: Shayna say hi. Hi. How are you today? I, I'm great, Shayna. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, my hair is back. I'm ready. <laughs>
1: this will make more sense if people see the video
0: I know this is okay so note this one down now we're letting people into our process Allison makes me a list of things to clip so this will be one of them you'll see this as a clip on Twitter and you'll be like okay and guess what it
1: It, it still won't make sense but it's okay
0: it's okay Um, Sarah was
1: set to be with us but those canes already rude enough to bust all of our brackets Have now gone ahead and scheduled their exit interviews for this morning. So we're going to get Sarah later this afternoon. We have a lot of burning topics we'll be getting to. Things Shana and I are dying to discuss, but we would never without Sarah. So we're going to get that episode out to you all shortly. But we couldn't wait to talk about <laughs> that game last night. Shana, we expected high flying offense we expected big performances from the named stars. I don't think we expected two backup goaltenders. I don't think we expected way too much narrative about one of the stupidest calls in hockey, which is offsides. of all the things that went down. And I've got some that we'll hit on specifically, but what, what theme stood out for you? I literally watching that game last night, there were multiple times. I just burst out laughing. Yeah. Like it was just insane. So what, what stood out to you the most?
0: I it was fun and chaotic, and that's all I could ask for in a series. <laughs> like, that was, you know, there's so much skill at the top of the Oilers lineup, throughout the Avalanche lineup. Like, I want chaos from that series, especially when we know what the Eastern battle is. And I feel like we got it. Yes, things were a little funkier than I thought, and I think it's unfortunate Darcy Kemper left with injury. You know, I, I hope he's doing okay because, you know, that's he got his team here and deserves credit for that. But – that was a lot in, like, the best way. Mike Smith got pulled. He hates Game 1s. And at the best was, like, he said it after. He's like, we don't like Game 1s. Like, no, you fucking don't, dude. No, you do not. <laughs> it's everything. What about what was your
1: favorite? Well, yeah, let's, let's break this down. So, again, okay. for those of you who, if, in all seriousness, like, there are times it's okay to miss games and catch up later. This is a game you should go back and watch. Yes. If you were not able to watch it. It was incredible. Uh, the Game 1 ends 8 six Colorado with the first game win. There is an empty netter in there, um, which is just an interesting note. But let's let's tick down the narratives. The first narrative and I'm going to put two together was McKinnon versus McDavid slash McCarr versus McDavid. And if you look at that matchup last night and we're using stats from natural stat trick right now, it was decidedly in colorado's favor that they were able to tilt the ice their way against mcdavid now mcdavid still produced dry who has simply one leg and like half a body at this point was still able to create those incredible passes but in terms of colorado's ability to quiet as much as is possible one of the best if not the best player in the world what stood out to you there in that specific narrative
0: I thought it was interesting that they did go power versus power for a lot of it, and you could see the Oilers trying to get away from it at times, but it was McKin- McKinnon versus McDavid for, I think, 13 minutes. I think McKinnon got a little more dry sidle by, like, 30 seconds, but it was, you know, that was the matchup, that line, and in those minutes, I was so curious, because here it is, if you're, you could look at defense so many different ways, like, how do you defend McDavid? How do you contain him? Should it be someone that's defense only? Should it be someone that can skate in, like, the Colorado Avalanche? are filled with players who can skate. And obviously McKinnon leads the way with that. And the shots were, the shot attempts were pretty even when the two of them were on the ice, but Colorado decidedly was behind in the expected goal battle. Like I think they only generated 30% when in those minutes. And I was like, Oh,
1: okay. Let's see. So with McKinnon on ice, Connor McDavid, it was 1304. McDavid only had 48% of
0: the shot attempts, but 68% of shot quality. Yeah, like that's, that's like when we saw it was, you know, McKinnon versus um, O'Reilly, he would have the shot advantage and then not the quality advantage. And he still managed to do his thing at even strength, not just on the power play or something. So I'm really curious how this goes. And I want to see what happens when Edmonton has home ice because you could see they didn't want McDavid in the matchup, even though he was better through much of it.
1: Excellent. All right. So, Makar, go in there. You know, when I. I, I know that people maybe think this is not an equivalency, and I would certainly be here for that argument, but uh, Kale McCarr has shades of, or I guess I should flip this and say Zacharensky has shades of Kale Makar if we look at um, elite eliteness. Um, but, you know, Kale McCarr is such a special player. I don't want to take anything away from him. He is strong defensively. He is a defender, but he is not the best defender in the, in the world and on this team per se. Right. Makar versus McDavid. Talk about that.
0: So... It depends on how you view defense again. Is the best defense a good offense, and that's Cal McCarr. It's not that he can't defend, but, like, his game is out-possessing you and bringing play up the ice. So the best defense is not just to have the puck, but literally get the puck out of the defensive end. And if you don't spend much time in the defensive zone, you're probably not allowing many goals. Unless, of course, you're an oiler, and you allow someone to clear from the defensive zone, you might have a goal against. But that's another <laughs> story. Um, yeah. But that's why that top pair, you know, as much as we talk about Makar, it's Makar and Taves. We can't forget Mm -hmm. that. Taves is. For sure. That's a puck mover right there who I think some of his pucks. pass, Shayna. The
1: pass. The pass
0: was so good. And I think those puck skills get underrated because we're always talking about Makar and rightfully so. And we think of Taves as more of the defensive defender, which he is. But for all of his shutdown abilities, he can move the puck really well. He would be Mm -hmm. a number one on any team
1: hmm and if to, to juxtapose against the McKinnon stats, we looked at kale McCarr played just over 14 minutes against Connor McDavid. McDavid only had 39 his team. I should be more specific. His team had just under 40% of all shot attempts against McCarr, McDavid versus McCarr on the ice and only 44% of the shot quality. So again, too many men told you this from the start. This is really more about McCar McDavid, even though Shayna likes her Battle of the Max. It's really looking at McCarr versus McDavid. I was also really surprised, particularly at the start of the game, in Edmonton's inability to transition the puck, to move it out of the zone and up the ice. Did you see anything there that Colorado is doing specifically other than some of the points we've already talked about?
0: Well it's interesting because that's something they brought Josh Manson in for, you know, like that's a player who's really good at defending the blue line and taking away scoring chances off the rush. And in Anaheim he was on a bad team. Colorado, that's not the case. Though he doesn't have Sam Girard to then flip play around as well, but you look at it and you could look up and down that uh that Edmonton lineup and aside from McDavid, you don't see as many players who are Elite. You know, they, they have good players, but they don't have that elite talent at transitioning the puck. And Dreisaitl's on one leg and he's on the same line. So it's a little bit different versus if they were split up. Absolutely. Now we also
1: <clears throat> were waiting for the Mike Smith game. Um, that was a journey. <laughs> but but and you mentioned this already shana but both goaltenders leave the game one is pulled mike smith but darcy kemper leaves the game and it's later announced by colorado that it's an upper body injury now the broadcast showed him getting hit in the head twice um in play one of those looked a little bit more significant to me than the other but as we talked about last episode you can't compare a hit to a hit a hit to the head is a hit to the head what do you think it means if Colorado is without Kemper due to injury more than just the balance of game one?
0: That's tough because he was the better goalie all regular season and they managed to win a series last round even though if I remember correctly he didn't have a single quality start. He didn't Give his team a chance. He didn't save any more goals than expected in any game versus St. Louis. And they still manage. So this is a team that's so good that they can just have average goaltending or even slightly below and manage. Is that the case against Edmonton? That's the curious part because this is the best offensive team that they've faced because of the players at the top of their lineup. Um, And, you know, Francis is fine as a backup. Was he amazing last night? No. Do I think he's, like, amazing all around? No. Does he need to be? Probably not. But it's not... It's it's a it's a huge blow in game one right off the bat. So it's going to be really interesting. And no matter if they advance, no matter who they face in the Stanley Cup final, they're facing elite goaltending. So those games will have to be a little bit closer. You imagine. So it's like you really hope that it's nothing serious. But like we do know, teams can get by with average goaltending if the team in front of them is built out, which they are. Yeah, it's very
1: interesting wrinkle. Um, you have to hope that maybe this is not something severe. Um, and and, and most importantly for the player's health, that he's able to return to the game. Um, But here's a question I had of mind. Was this game defense optional because both offenses are so good, or are these teams not good defensively?
0: What's your take? (laughs) I feel like the Avalanche are good defensively generally, but I think a lot of it is because they're also so good offensively, and I think having... Not for nothing, and he's going to play a small role, but, like, you can look at little cracks below the surface, like Jack Johnson playing for Sam Gerrard is a crack below the surface right there. Um, (laughs) But, like, I don't think that they're necessarily bad defensively, but, like, they play this high up-tempo style that, like, you know, we know that kind of, like, rush-based style can be a little bit trickier, but generally they were one of the better teams at, like, limiting quality chances against, and, you know, they just have the puck a lot the Oilers defense suspect is a little, it's suspect Sus. Sus. They, they made adjustments in the regular season when Woodcroft took over like in all three zones like Connor McDavid now goes down low and you'll see him like work doing more work in the defensive zone to give his defenseman more support and they're you know spacing out more and you know they're trying to make sure that they're tighter across the way but like now you're going against Colorado that if you screw up it's going to end up in the back of your net probably and like as good as Mike Smith has been. At the end of the day, they still have Mike Smith in the ba- in, in the net that there's a higher probability of things getting out of hand like they did here. As Again, as good as he's been, and I'm acknowledging that, we also know what can happen. Like, I got a text two minutes into the game that's like over under on the number of goals scored against that Mike Smith's on his belly for We're at one. I was like, hmm, for the series, I'm saying at least five. Like, I feel like that's safe because I don't want to totally discredit him. But like, We have these opinions for a reason yeah i mm, i
1: don't know i was shocked that the defense was slacking as much as it was but i did also i mean the game i just enjoyed it to all hell get out it was wonderful (laughs) um let's we can't avoid the elephant in the room i've never seen (laughs) such irateness over an offside call now let's be clear i hate offside The intent of the rule is to avoid egregious offside, where if a player is significantly offside in immediate time vicinity to a goal being scored, in my opinion, that's the intent of the rule. This measuring of inches in and of itself drives me nuts, but basically, Kael McCarr does not, is ruled to not have possession, then obtains possession, rushes into the zone, and scores the go-ahead goal late in the first period. It's a ticky-tacky part of the rule. I've never seen so many people suddenly care about what possession actually is. <laughs> Hashtag go nerds. But Shayna, what was your take on the call? What's your take on the rule? What's your take on how much it should matter in the context of this game?
0: It. I think it does matter because they went on the penalty kill and allowed a power play goal against. But this is what's so tricky. Like. Jay, uh, Jay Woodcroft was 5-0 and in the regular season on offside challenges. That was every single one of his challenges he was correct on. So the video staff knows what they're doing with these calls. This was a rule that I guess maybe so many aren't clear on because we don't see it so often. And it's why so many of us were confused. And in the postseason, he's 0-1 and it was only on goalie interference. So... It's not like he's used his challenge super frequently. He's pretty confident when it is. Goalie interference is a totally different ballgame, so I can't even like look at it like that, and it's not like they allowed a goal against last time. It was in Game 4 uh, against the Kings. So here it is. They use the challenge. I understand why they used the challenge, because this was a rule I'm not clear on either. We, none of, who among us knew that Bob McKenzie role? knew. Bob, Bob McKenzie knew. Bob McKenzie knew. <laughs> and he had the best description of it, because it was he really did. confusing. Like, it's, but still, like, this is something that a lot of us did need clarity on. So I'm not even like fully faulting the oiler stuff. I think some people might be like, you should know the rule, but there's so many fucking rules in small gray areas. I get that quickly in that moment, you're like that you can challenge because I thought the goal was going to come off the board and then it doesn't. So now you're down. That made it what? Three, two. And then Correct. the power play goal made it four, two. So, Correct. and that's kicking the ass. And then that was a carryover power play, which you've written about so much. So like, I feel like that can be a good risk to take because a lot of the times when your power play is broken up like you talk about that talk about carryover power plays
1: well so basically there's a this was a question jt brown brought up last season which was teams always say it's better to get fresh ice at the top of a period in the middle of a power play but actually teams are less likely to convert a power play if there's an intermission that breaks it up and we haven't dove into the reasons yet is it because the penalty kill has time to regroup Is it something about losing the advantage of that momentum and how that feels? Is it something, are there adjustments made? We haven't found that yet, but we know for a fact that across the league historically, getting an intermission in the middle of a power play usually doesn't help the power play. It helps the penalty kill. So
0: is that the risk you take? Do you challenge that knowing you might go on the penalty kill? There's X number, you know, X amount of time on the clock and you're gonna have, if you lose this challenge, the power play is gonna go across two periods. Like, is that the right risk to take, you think? I mean, you always want a power play. I feel like,
1: particularly Well, no, but game. if
0: you make the challenge and oh, now yeah, you're yeah, going yeah, to go yeah, yeah. risk going on the penalty yeah. kill. At this point in the game, this is the go-ahead goal. So you could risk going down 3-2, like sticking with 3-2. Right. Maybe going down 4-2, but at least it's a carryover.
1: I mean, we presume that Edmonton knows that that is a thing that exists. Yeah. So, which we don't know for sure. Yeah. So, but that's, that's, to answer That's, your question, that's the... <laughs> to answer who your question, among who among us knows... Um, Would I take the risk? I think that because what we know, too, is when those challenges come, it's usually not the coach sitting on the bench. It's your video coaching staff behind that's watching this thing from 18 different angles. And I am not faulting, as we just talked about, I'm not faulting the Edmonton's video staff. I think if the video coach, if we pulled every video coach from 32 teams, I would wager the vast majority would have said, yes, that's offsides. Yep. And these are usually the easiest ones to call from a video perspective. So if my video staff had said it was offsides in that game, I probably would have challenged it, yes. And that's again, not dissing on their video staff at all. I would have challenged yeah, it. I think now so I, too. Now imagine how many people are now gonna know this rule. And now we're gonna be debating, not oh just inches and skate blades and planes, but we're gonna be debating possession. This is going to be a nightmare. It's, a nightmare. This is going
0: to be a lot. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm working on something about challenges. So I was hoping we'd get a couple spicy ones to, like, really kick it up a notch. The more challenges we have, the better, because it just betters my data. But, like, this is what I care about. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God for that. No, I mean, like, I've been – this was something, like, I've been planning for, like, a minute. So I'm like, oh, any good call – any calls I see is a good thing, because I'm curious of how – coaching tendencies change from the regular season to the playoffs and how records change and things like that and like we've gotten so many goalie interference calls that have been so controversial and as someone who posts the moving picture of it I get everybody's thoughts on them <laughs> so I this one was this one was an interesting one for for sure I, I don't like offside challenges goalie interference I like that there's a challenge for I like that there's challenges altogether because I think that there are things you know the name of the game is efficiency but like you said like it's meant to be for egregious things and this was like so minuscule and it did it changes the game you yeah. they could have been it could have been a tie game and now it's 4-2 yeah yeah for sure
1: well this series is uh coming out to be not just what we expected but now even more interesting because we have some goaltending questions about who starts in that game two for Edmonton Shayna, it's going to be Mike Smith okay I would we be shocked know. if not we're not going to ask her about Colorado no. because obviously these no. are issues we yeah. can't predict
0: who um, do you predict
1: for Edmonton yeah. Oh, Mike Smith, obviously. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's too good not to happen. It has to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah so this series is definitely um, fitting the bill, and we can't wait for more of that. But in terms of experiencing whiplash, at least in terms <laughs> of what we think is going to happen, um, tonight begins the Eastern Conference Final. And this is the, um, and I know I'm a, Don't come at me, Rangers fans. You know what I'm saying. and You know the context in which I'm saying. The the New York Shesterkins versus the two-time defending Stanley Cup winners, Tampa Bay Lightning. From a narrative perspective, it would be easy, it would seem, to predict what would come out of this series. But we can't be so sure. Shayna, what do you see in this series? You and Dom Lushishan uh, published your preview of this series this morning on The Athletic. Everyone should check that out. What do you see, what do you think is going to happen, and what are the X factors that could turn this series from what
0: people might expect? This is cool because it's the last time the Rangers went to the Eastern Conference Final was against Tampa in 2015. That went seven games. The only two Rangers from either side left in this series are Chris Kreider and Ryan McDonough, who's now on the other side. And if you dun, remember, dun, dun. like, it's, it's cool because last time they went and the, the big storyline was players... From who were on, you know, the other side of it, it was Ryan Callahan, who is now with the Lightning, Brian Boyle, who was with the Lightning, Anton Stroman, who the Rangers didn't even try to sign and was with the Lightning. And then right after that, McDonough and Miller went to the Lightning, you know, a year or two later. So it's interesting. It's a different coaching staff for the Rangers. It's not for the Lightning. Well, head coach, they change assistants. Um, so it's, it's so different from what it was. Like that was the old core. This is the new core against one of the best teams in the league. I think the thing is, we looked at Tampa versus Toronto and Florida, and we talked a lot about will, desire, things like that. I don't think anyone could look at the Rangers and go, they don't have that. We look at, they are 5-0 in elimination games right now. They came back from being down 3-1. to that's, that's nothing to, you know, shake off. They knew what to do when the stakes rose, and, you know, they managed. But I feel like it's a different ballgame to an extent because now you're doing it against Tampa. You're not doing it against Carolina or Pittsburgh. Which, no offense to them, it's just, it's different. This is, these are the defending champs. This is the series you get up for if you didn't for the other two. And that's something you talked about with Panarin yesterday. Um, the X-Factor, you have the Lightning Penalty Kill. That's very good at clogging the middle and taking away the East-West Pass that the Rangers love to use. Versus the Rangers' Power Play, that's very, very, very good. Um... You have Kucherov versus Panarin. Neither one has been as great as they should be at even strength, especially Panarin, which we talked about. You have Victor Hedman versus Adam Fox, two Norris-caliber defenders that I am hyped to see go head-to-head. And, you know, you have the players like, you have Sorelli, who's probably going to get at How does he manage in the shutdown role? Like, there's so many different things. And you have the team that legitimately is worse at 5-on-5 versus the team that's much better at 5-on-5, but they don't have Braden Point. So, there's so many different ways to look at it that it's like, maybe it's not as close as the odd sh- like, as, you know, maybe it's closer than the odd show, but the Lightning still have the advantage for a number of reasons. Are there things that, I mean, you mentioned some of the
1: things you're looking for and some of the advantages on each team. What could turn this series on its head?
0: If Panarin steps up, that is right there, because I think the Rangers expect Kreider and Zibanejad too, and rightfully so, even when they get crushed in the matchups, they're, getting on the score sheet, and when the pressure's on, you look at Game 6, Game 7 against Pittsburgh, it was Mika Zibanejad. When it was against Carolina, it's Zibanejad and Kreider. So those are the players that, you know, you expect you need it now that you're getting more from Panarin's line. That's the difference maker because Tampa has depth. The Rangers have the kid line to match that. Both have fourth lines who aren't great offensively, but, you know, I'm sure they'll be trusted defensively. It's the Panarin line that is, like, the potential game breaker to turn this on its head. And I think if the Rangers' penalty kill, which – has shown some like really bright spots and now they have like the personnel to execute it with like cop and Mott and Goudreau on top of Kreider and Zibanejad. If they can take away Tampa's power play advantage, that's something that could be really big too.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And for me to clarify too on the Will thing, I don't think the Rangers don't have Will, but the, what the Lightning have yeah. is this the the kind of confidence that comes from experience yes and unfortunately that can't be manufactured it comes from the fact you know we hear these narratives all the time is that this is why you bring a vet into the room because they tell you what it actually takes to get to a cup final to win a cup we hear the story of a young wayne gretzky looking into whose locker room was it where they had just Uh, won the islanders islanders and they were just so broken they couldn't even celebrate because that's what it took to win a cup it's it's being able to say we don't care what you throw at us. We know we can dig in and do this. Um, And that's what constantly surprises me about Tampa. I it's yes. Listen, I'm grounded in data, but honestly there seems to be something about that with Tampa. It's going to be really interesting because it, it sounds like that's a lot of what came out of the New York room after game seven against Carolina was that decided confidence and knowledge of we're just going to do this. Um, so I'm very interested to see I still side on the side of Tampa. Um, you know, the goaltending is going to be very interesting to watch. Very, very interesting to watch.
0: That's, that's the matchup. And I know like some people are, they, they want to see goals. Well, guess what? Go to the fucking West for that. You're getting that. Um, no, I, I agree with you on all parts. Like I think Tampa has that mental mindset better than everybody else. And I think that maybe it'll be less of a narrative because the Leafs, we know that's been a thing forever. The Panthers, we all saw it happen. That's you know that was the easy narrative in so many ways. But um, goaltending is so interesting because you have Andre Vasilevsky, who had a good regular season and started round one okay, and then when the stakes rose, locked it down. Um, and then you have Igor Shesterkin, best goalie of the regular season by a massive margin. Had the toughest workload and still thrived. Carried his team there. And a lot of people are like, that's such a bad narrative. And it's like, but that's the truth. They did make improvements, but he was the difference maker all season. Um, And in the playoffs, he did slip against Pittsburgh. He had no support, but he did slip. And he bounced back. That's the most important thing. It's not like the conversation stops there. Yes, he had two bad games, but look at what he did after that. And look at what he did against Carolina. He was the difference maker in that series. As much as the Rangers stepped up defensively versus Carolina, as opposed to how they fell apart against Pittsburgh, Schellsterkin was still the difference maker. So it's going to be so interesting because it adds more importance to the Lightning scoring goals, which now they don't have point to do and contribute to instead of plays. So it should be a much tighter series now because every goal is going to matter that much more. And we know the Rangers have finishing talent, even if they don't generate as much, you know, below the surface. This is a top five team in rush goals in the regular season. They're a bottom five team in, you know, rush attempts. So it's like, it's that kind of thing. But now they're going against Vasilevsky. So it's a challenge for both sides. And like every little bounce is going to matter so much. Like, I don't, are we going to see beautiful goals? And those are the goals that get scored. Is it going to be the dirtiest and, you know, bouncing around pucks, deflecting off people's asses? Who the fuck knows?
1: Well, and, you know, I am honestly, I was going to ask you, and you brought it up, I am shocked people aren't bringing up the absence of Brayden Point more, honestly. Because, you know, we heard, too, from Rod Brindamore after Carolina is out that part of what he thought was missing for his team was the elite ability to score. And sure, Tampa has, I think, casual perception has made it look easy, particularly against Florida. But Brayden Point is part of what they need to have on paper versus an Igor Shosturkin. Yep. And, you know, they've rolled, they are strong, they obviously have other weapons, but I I, I am shocked that we're not talking about that more, honestly. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a disservice to the analysis.
0: Because, like, we can look at the, the Lightning's first win, and they didn't have Stamkos in the Stanley Cup final, and they managed without him. But Point was playing otherworldly. And now in the playoffs, you see Stamkos had an incredible regular season. He hasn't been as good in the playoffs, and we know he can be is the thing. You know, Kucherov, we know he can be better than this, so that's great and wonderful, but they are put on the same line, too, so that's one line. It helps to have, it's. It was I, if I remember correctly, it was Kalorn, Sorelli, Point were playing together, so you have your shutdown player, you have Kalorn who can turn it on when he needs to, and then you have Point, who is this incredible player in transition, one of the best skaters, even though many teams didn't draft him because of his skating, well, You know, you can thank Barb Underhill for, you know, helping him with that. Who knew you could fix skating? Who knew you just draft for skill and see what can happen? But Nick Paul's a really good utility player who can, like, who is filling the void to an extent. And he's been really good for Tampa in the playoffs. But, like, it's Nick Paul. That's not Braden Point. And if you have (laughs) Nick Paul on your third line, your third line's better. And, yes, they have the depth to step it up. But, like, and it doesn't seem like Hagel's 100%. He's been good, too. So you're like... That, it can, you know, pile up, and that's, you know, on the power play, they have so many weapons, that's what makes them so incredible. One of those weapons is point, and now he's not there. So, there's so many ways that that can burn them, and maybe he comes back, but they they can't bet on that. They can't right now. Maybe they hope that the no point and basically no Panarin, no show, you know, negates each other, but who the fuck knows.
1: So you're saying there'd be no point to Panarin?
0: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. See, this is what happens when Sarah's not here. It's not
1: good. <laughs> it's not good, folks. All I have is my puns, and I'm so upset that Brainpoint Point is
0: not playing because it's so easy. It's oh, right he's there. there. It's so good. It's, it's right so there. Good. Even, even, right even ra- I can figure out ones like that. And you know like this is not a strong suit for me coming up with like witty captions, which is why mine are usually so bland. I'm like, I'll state the facts. Like, I can't even try. <laughs> <laughs> can I, <look? laughs> I could do Fineran's bread and butter. I can do shit like that, Shayna. but he's not doing anything for me. <laughs> he's not scoring, and it's affecting me. It's affecting my tweets. It's all about you, your data, your tweets. Oh, 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 let's have a little conversation yes. about how this affects the Maple Leafs last night's you guys, game. this was insane. And
1: and both of the people, who, well, all three of the people who are involved in this, I love and have respect for. But this was incredible. Please, Shayna, bring the people up to speed.
0: Okay, let me pull this up. There was a tweet. I think Dom screen screencapped a tweet that Correct. had two things about the Leafs in it. Where was this? One from Tic Tac Omar. Yeah, and one is. from uh, Travis. Yeah. Have to wonder what this game means for the Leafs. And the Leafs should petition to be moved to the West. They could fly with this kind of hockey. And I'm like, they had their they had their bubble last year. Two years ago, where no, I'm sorry, last year, where they were in the all Canadian division and didn't even have to go through the East. They would have been the Western team to make it, right? Yeah, they wouldn't because the the Lightning went through the Islanders because it was all right. right. Yeah, so they would have gone through blame the West Canada, anyway. Shana. Blame yeah, blame Canada. Blame Canada. They couldn't get Montreal, and they couldn't fly with this style. They could have thrived in the West maybe and gotten through Vegas maybe. Sure, let's go with that. But like. If you want to go with how does this affect the Leafs, I would go with the Zach Hyman, Kadri, Tyson Barry. And I would understand that, too, because these are players, right or wrong, that are no longer with the Leafs. Like, Hyman, I looked at it, and I'm like, I get I wouldn't have wanted that contract either. I think he's a great player. I think it's going to be such a good contract in the beginning. And I think at the end, that contract's going to be really tough. I get it. But, like...
1: All right well on that note my friends (laughs) um we did to circle back to we did get predictions from sarah before puck dropped last night she has colorado in six so to bring you back up to speed all three of us are on the side of colorado to the oilers winning the oilers are winning guaranteed listen we'll see um but that brings us to this eastern conference final before the puck drops sarah has tampa bay winning in seven games shayna what is your prediction for this eastern conference final
0: i think it's going to be Tampa and six but i do think it's going to be a very 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 close series with like some overtimes and stuff that makes it feel longer than it is okay i am also going to go tampa in six i just can't
1: pull away from that and also as i've said i'm now strangely invested in this three-in-a-row narrative so i can't help it i know um, i'm so
0: curious if they can do it i know i really am like i feel like few. we all look there. like do they have the gas in the tank and it's like i do think we're forgetting last year was 56 games it's not like they played 82 games then went on the long run i wonder if that's helping would they be able to do it if it was an 82 game season and then a long playoff run like would it have mattered right now because of the way they're playing i really don't fucking know well and i here's the thing
1: i think you know I'm not here for the narrative of the abbreviated asterisk seasons or anything no, like that. absolutely um, not. Because I do one million percent believe that there were other stressors in those seasons that were shortened yep. that, while different, equate to the barrier total volume, obstacle total volume yeah. that an 82-game season brings. It's yeah. just my take. And I, agree. I would say to do 82 at, at the at the finale of it in your third year with still some COVID issues in there. Like
0: this is unfathomable to me. Yeah. I don't know. No, I agree with you. I think it's when I like everyone be like, oh, they're going to be so guests after last year. And I'm like, well, maybe not as guests as, it, but I, I agree with you. There's so many different challenges to it. Like going through different divisions, being in the bubble. Then yeah. last year, like you still had the divisional thing that was chaotic. Like There's so many different things about it. And now this year, it's like, okay, one more time. And everyone also has been studying them. Now, not just for one year, but for two years to become the next Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, fuck, the Rangers took went out and got Barkley Goudreau because they were like, look at his impact. And you see Calgary with Blake Coleman. You have the the real Barkley Goudreau versus the new Barkley Goudreau in Nick Paul. What a matchup. <laughs> oh, God, Sarah, come back quickly. All right, friends,
1: let's end as we always do with our Fuck Mary Kill. And in lieu of what is going on and what we expect to be going on in these conference finals, here's our Fuck Mary Kill for this episode. china are you ready? I'm ready. Fuck Mary Kill, blowouts, not for your hair, goalie <laughs> battles,
0: defense optional. Kill blowouts. I don't even care if it's the team I want to see win. I hate them. It's not exciting. I want to be engaged for all 60 minutes. Kill them. I will fuck goalie duels. I think... I actually really do love goalie duels, like... Above all else. Like, I always... But, like, I don't, like... Then sometimes, like, they end on a shitty goal... And that annoys me. Like, I want it if it's, a, like, this perfect goalie duel. I want, like, the, like, let's say it's a one nothing game. I want that goal to be, like, beautiful. And sometimes they're not. And that will frustrate me. So I'll only fuck that. And I will marry defense optional because, like, you're engaged the entire time. You're so excited about it. And I just think that there's so much chaos. And you get to see, like, speed and skill on display in a lot of those games. Or skill in the goal-scoring department and chaos on the other side with a lot of snow angels. And I just think it's super entertaining. So I'll marry that because it'll keep me, you know... Entertain the rest of my life and again it's it's all about Shayna. just so we're clear just so we well, got these that are under- my picks these are my picks so yes if i have to commit to marrying one of them that's what i choose i will also kill I'm blowouts maple leafs. Who knew? I, oh my
1: god here we go <laughs> <laughs> i'm the maple leafs shana you should feel badly about that i do <laughs> <laughs> all right i am also going to kill blowouts particularly for playoff hockey We should be seeing elite competition against elite or as elite as possible and so to see such disparity that comes from a blowout is no fun and is not deserving of playoff time i am going to flip on you though i am going to actually marry goalie battles and here's why well let me flip it i'm going to fuck defense optional because it's fun and it's all the things you said however I still want to see completeness of play. And to me, that includes defense. So that's where I like. I like the tension. I like that drama, that tension, that who's going to break whom, who is going to stop. It's the unstoppable force versus the immovable object idea. Um, I definitely am going to marry the goalie battle because I think it places the demand on all three facets of a really soundly built and executing team.
0: I like that answer. Can I add too, do you of remember you can. this of course. Uh do you remember the game this season, Oilers versus Avalanche, that was that goalie duel of Darcy Kemper. I remember we were texting during it too, like, who the yep. fuck saw this coming? And then yep. you see this is game one. And it's like we know that these teams can have that goalie duel if everyone's healthy. And I'm curious if like I would love it if in that series we get like a curveball of For one sure. of those games. Totally. I totally. want that. Because that game was incredible that was one of the best games of the regular season and then their next game against each other was like five to Edmonton and it sucks so totally totally
1: yeah. I'm with you all right Shana did we miss anything
0: no no okay you well again on the friend- tracks <laughs>
1: barely <As a> <laughs> <late>. <laughs> barely all right friends well as mentioned we'll be coming back to you with our all news episode Sarah Sivian will be back who knows she may even have some headlines from Carolina clean out your locker day um, until then, it is June 1st. It is the beginning of Pride Month. Just because there's a month doesn't mean that we shouldn't make space for all the people in the world all day, every day. But let's highlight the importance of doing that for our LGBTQIA plus friends, family, neighbors, and colleagues every single day. Don't accept racism. Don't accept sexism. Check out our Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. Check out our website and merch at too many men pod.com. And until then be good to each other. And we will talk to you soon. Bye.